0: Good morning, Hills family. How we doing? Okay, thank you for the three over there. Okay, let's try that again. Good morning, Hills family. How we doing? Let the other campuses hear you. Thank you. Good morning to everyone that's watching online um, from all four corners of the earth to down the street from this campus. Good morning, you guys. We're glad you're with us. Before I greet the other campuses, I want to give a plea. If you're online or you're in this room or you're on another campus, one of the, a great serve position where you could serve the Lord is become one of our online hosts. It just means you watch online and you kind of greet people with your keyboard. Some of you that are extreme introverts, this is the dream come true, amen? If you wanna do that, fill out a Connect card, let us know, we'll get you connected. You can do it online too. So anyways, um, good morning, Old Town Campus. What's up, Dwayne? Good morning, Pastor Brandon in, at Tulare Street. Good morning in Marin County with Pastor David in Novato, California. We're glad you guys are with us. We're really excited. You know, we've been doing uh, Raise to Life and Pastor Scott. Uh, for those of you that are watching, Pastor Scott gave us an update, uh, I think it was 70 people made decisions for Christ already and, and actually it was 20 baptisms because last night at a crab feed fundraiser we baptized someone, which was awesome. Not in crab sauce, in the baptismal, it was awesome. So any, anyways, um, I, um, I want to, because we're doing this thing, Race to Life, it's a gospel initiative, and we want to see 2,000 people come to Christ, 1,000 people step in the water, baptism. We want to plant five churches in the West, 10 overseas, and then raise up new buildings too, right? So we're, we're raising things to life. Well, I want to introduce you to another one of our church planners. His name is Sean and his wife. They're going to come up here. So give him a hand. Come on up, Sean. Now, some of you may be thinking, was it the last church planner you brought up named Sean? Yes, they both actually are scenes. Um, you should not trust anyone named Scene that says their name is Sean. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I kid. I kid. Right?
1: This. This, this is Sean. Sean, want you to introduce yourself and your wife. Hi, my name is Sean. This is my beautiful, amazing <laughs> wife, Nellie. All right. Okay. And I've been saying your name wrong for like three years. It's it's, it's Bo, like Bo Jackson and Dwayne. Bo, Bo Dwayne. Bodwin.
0: Yes. Okay. So uh, Sean is, and, and, and they're planning a church called Hope Church in San Diego. So may, maybe tell them a little bit about how you guys got to that place
1: to plan a church and what the, what the church is about. Well, first off, Jesus saves. And, and he saved us. And he took a, a six-time felon with eight years of county, state, and federal prison time, not including group homes, and he transformed and rocked his world one day, and things changed, and men came in my life, women came in my wife's life, and they poured into us, and education, seminary, experience, and now, God is calling us to plant a church in the same community in which we live, and my wife's a high school teacher at, and we believe that we're supposed to to grow where we planted, and in the El Cajon, La Mesa area of San Diego County, there's a lot of people that, that need some hope. There, there's a lot of people who are hurt, struggling. There's, there's broken families. There's drug addiction. There's homelessness. There's suicides. And so we want to bring them Jesus. And so that is our main goal, and that is our main mission at Hope Church.
0: Amen, amen, amen. So I want to pray for you guys. And as a
1: church, um can, I, can I say one thing? Real fast? Go ahead.
0: <laughs> <right>.
1: Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> From the bottom of our heart, we want to thank you. We want to thank, want to thank you, this, uh, your pastor, Sean, our pastor, Sean, and all of you, every single last person here in this room right now. We want to thank you from the bottom of our heart for your heart, your generosity, and you following the calling to God to follow the Great Commission and help plant more churches and share the gospel in more places because without all of us, God uses us it wouldn't get done. Like he always says, I believe this and I share this with our people that the local church is the hope for the world. And God has no other plan but you. God has no other plan but you and God has no other plan but you. And so thank you for everything, for being our sending church and sending us out to help fill the Great Commission and bring hope to San Diego.
0: Amen. I don't know. He might be a preacher. I can't tell. (laughs) It's not my own. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these two, Lord. I pray um, a blessing over their life. Lord, I ask that you would um, put a protection on them and their family as the enemy does not want to see hope in communities. He does not want to see the hope of the world, your church, your people. Um, establish a kingdom outpost, Lord. So I pray protection over their family. But Father, I pray more so that you would make them bold and courageous. Um, that they would not cower from that, but Lord, they would lean into it and be bold and courageous. Lord, your word tells us how, um, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, Lord. And we thank you that you have given them beautiful feet, Lord. So I pray you would anoint their words and their actions and bless this church. Fill it with your glory. Fill it with your people, Lord. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Amen.
1: Thanks for having me, know.
0: So um, if any of you are feeling called to San Diego, talk to Sean. It's a really cheap place to live. It's super, you know, it's not crowded whatsoever. It's, you know, um, (laughs) you know, with Raised to Life, uh, One of the things we gave out, it's just like we call it a cultural artifact, right? It's a prayer freshener. Anyone have a prayer freshener in their car or anything like that? Yeah. Okay. Warning about air fresheners in general. Don't lay them on their dash. It will eat a hole through your dash. I don't know what they make these things out of, but, and not just specifically the prayer freshener, the trees, all of them. (laughs) <laughs> so, someone in the church told us, they're like, hey, I laid it on my dash and it like ate a hole in my dash. And then I Googled it and there's like all these people with like the tree imprint on their dash. So don't do that and don't eat these. They will kill you, okay? So, but I will tell you what you can do with these. I actually sneak these in a, my teenage son's bedroom all the time because <laughs> they're very pungent. They go in my gym bag. They go in all, all, all of those places. But I don't know if you've ever... Um, you ever walked into someone's house and it just, there was like a funk going on? Like you're like, "What do I smell? Right? And, and they, don't, they have no idea because it's their funk. And their funk is normal life to them, but their funk is not your funk. It doesn't smell right, right? Um, I, I remember like growing up, my parents were like heavy smokers. You know? And you know, I remember when they quit, like after a couple of years, I'd walk into someone's house who was a smoker, and I'd be like, "What does this smell?" And, and my friend was like, it's "Cigarette smoke." I mean, this is what smokers' houses smell like. And I looked at him, and I go, "Did my house smell like that?" And he goes, "Oh God, yes." I was like, "Did I?" And he's like, "Yeah, all the time." I was like, "Mom," you know, it, it was that, that kind of thing, right? But it was my funk. It was my smell. I was used to it. Is how it worked. You just get used to the funk you're in. Sometimes. Well, um, I I think that happens in in life in general is we, the the Bible says we're all sinners and we just kind of get used to our sin and there's this funk in our sin, but it's ours and we're just used to it and it's normal and it's nice. And when Jesus comes into your life, he begins to renovate the house and you start to notice maybe I got some funk on me. And I got to take care of that. So we've been in this series called uh, Contagious Faith. And we, we want to help our church move from being just a place where um, the gospel is kind of presented from the pulpit, which it is every week. It always will be presented from the pulpit, but we, and it's always been a pulpit-centered movement, but we want the gospel to also be a people-centered movement, that the people of God are sharing the gospel. The people of God are telling people about Jesus and what God's done in their life, right? And we based it on the five contagious faith styles, and uh, I think I have a little icon for each of them. Maybe I do, maybe I don't. I don't know if they put it up, but week one, we talked about the friendship style. Some people just have that natural, like, they can make friends with anyone, Anyone. They walk in a room, and, or they can invite someone somewhere, and there's like a crowd behind them, right? Some of you know those people. Other, other people have a selfless serving style of evangelism where they, they'll just serve you to death. They have no problem. They'll roll their sleeves up, get dirty, do whatever it takes to lift you up in Jesus' name um, there's people that are story sharers. They have an incredible, like Sean, Sean has an incredible story, right? And, um, his story, he shares that and it draws people to J- Jesus. As a matter of fact, part of those, um, 70 decisions for Christ, I think nine of them were Sean last week. He sneezes and people come to Christ. So you be careful. Okay. Um, and, and he's got that story sharing. T- today, we're going to talk about reason giving, and reason giving are, you know, you, you know those people that are like highly logical, they, they need like some serious evidence, like those, those kind of things are what get them excited about the faith. Not everyone is like that. This is my, my secondary uh, faith style. It's, I'm, story, I mean, reason giving and truth telling are kind of like right there even when I took the assessment in the book. And, um, and I love that kind of stuff. Last year, I spent all year Um, reading the complete works of C.S. Lewis. I read all of his books and it was, I I loved it and I ate it up and I was sad when it was over. I wanted to go back and do it again. Like I'm that kind of person. My wife, she's not that whatsoever. She's selfless serving, right? And I remember early on, we were married. I was researching all the facts of Christianity and and the Bible and Jesus. And she's like, can't you just like have faith and believe this stuff? (laughs) Like, dang. Can't you just be quiet and leave me alone? (laughs) But she doesn't need that because she's, you know, God is connected with her differently. But some people, that kind of thing, the reason giving is huge. So this morning, I want to read to you from um, the book of 1 Peter. Because um, there, there's a, a small little passage in there that I think really speaks highly, especially if you're a reason giver or if you're here today and you're looking for reasons to believe. Um, we're so glad you're here and we're going to read from the word of the Lord and I would love it in whatever venue you're at, campus you're at, if you're at home, let's stand in honor of God's word as we read from the word of the Lord. It says here in 1 Peter 3, 13 through 15. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. This is God's word. You may be seated. So, you know, when Peter was writing this to the early church, Um, Actually, in 1 Peter, he says who he's writing it to. And he's writing it to all these churches that are spread throughout the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire, um, actually, and point number one in your outline, if you're taking notes, is really this. The world we live in today is very similar, actually, to the Roman Empire back back 2,000 years ago. See, um, I it was interesting. The other day I was having a conversation with someone over dinner and they had been to Israel with, um, or yeah, they'd been to Israel and they had been to, to, to England. And while they're in England, they saw, um, Roman ruins from the time of Jesus. And then they went to Israel and they saw Roman ruins from the time of Jesus. And they, they, they said it was mind-blowing to realize just how big the Roman empire was and really how connected it was the roads brought it together and when Peter wrote this you have to understand this Christianity was not like a huge faith maybe one percent half of one percent were Christ followers in the whole Roman empire it was just this small little movement that was happening but it was spreading very quickly so um when you look at the culture of the Roman Empire, they were very polytheistic. They were very hedonistic. It was about, the, um, you know, it was about pleasure. It, it was pr- what, what sociologists or theolo- theologians call pre-Christian. It was pre-Christian. Christianity did not have any, a huge cultural influence at the time that Peter wrote this passage. Didn't have hardly any at all, right? So now, we live in 2023. And what sociologists and theologians will tell you now is that actually we have entered into what they call a post- Christian era. And what they mean by this is they think that Christianity, its cultural influence on the world is in decline, which it actually isn't in the world, but in the West it is. It's in decline right now. And um, more and more people are being born without any faith whatsoever, without any knowledge of Christianity. Um, their values, whether they know it or not, are, are haunted by the values of Christianity, but they, they, they don't have it anymore. And you, you're getting this Um, They call it the rise of the nuns. It's people that say they have no religion. They're not atheists, but they're not religious either. And they they maybe know a little bit about Jesus, but they probably know more about their favorite TikTok star than Jesus. That makes sense. They probably know more about a YouTuber. They know more about an athlete, or they know, you know, they know more about their great great grandfather than Jesus, right? So we live in this post Christian era, and and here here, here's the reality of it. It's very similar to the pre Christian era. It's very polytheistic. It's very relativistic. You know, even though people may not have a, a a faith, everyone has. Follow your truth, right? That, that's kind of the, the, the way the world has gone. And everyone, this, there's this extreme individualism. There's an extreme hedonism that you do whatever feels good for you because that's your truth. You do what's right for you. And um, it's, it's incredibly similar. As a matter of fact, here's, here's an interesting thing they're talking about now is that, um, you know, when, if I get up here and I talk about the need for community, that people should have um, a tribe, a group of people that they're close with that are looking out for them and they're looking out for you and, 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 and you're, you're interacting together and living life together. Um, most of the culture loves that. They love that message. And here's why. Because our culture is almost becoming like a, a vapor, in the sense that like we're atomizing. We're just all becoming individuals more and more and more. And what, what psychologists have said is we're incredibly lonely as a people. We're connected to 3,000 people on Instagram. You know, you might have 100,000 followers on, on some social media context. But you're incredibly lonely because we've all become individuals. And we just keep atomizing and becoming individuals. And we know we need community. That's why when people talk about it and we, or, or we hear a story about it, it makes our hearts sing. But the reality is we just keep drifting off as individuals. And we're busier and busier, and we're more immersed in our device, we're more immersed in doing things than, than being together. Even when we're together, we're worried about the next thing we're gonna do, on and on and on. And we want community, but we can't find it. And the reality is the system we live in is perfectly designed to give you the results that you're getting. So why is this short passage in First Peter relevant? Well, here's what I, I would tell you. It, it says, um, really, you're, you're supposed to give a reason for the hope that you have inside you of Jesus. And when you become a Christian, when you become a follower of Jesus, there's this hope. You you you're supposed to look at the world differently. And, and there are a lot of people out there, because you'll you'll hear one of the common criticisms of people that haven't really looked deeply into it, to be honest. They'll say, Oh, all you Christian, you're just sheep. It's just groupthink. Right? You, you know, you, you don't believe in facts. You don't believe in things that are logical. Like, I believe in science, right? You hear that all, all the time. And here, here's what I want you to understand. There have been Christians for 2,000 years that were incredibly reasonable, logical, scientists, philosophers, on and on and on, that think clearly about the faith. And it is a very reasonable faith. I think of guys like C.S. Lewis. Who is a professor of medieval literature at Cambridge University, an atheist his whole life. And late in his life, he, he converted to be, become a believer in Jesus. I think of John Lennox, who currently is a professor of mathematics at the University of Oxford. Who, Oxford, who is a, a deep, a deep Christian. Francis Collins, who mapped the human genome. How do you even do that, okay? He mapped the human genome. This is a man that has a deep faith in Jesus but believes in logical things in science. Guys like Lee Strobel, friend of the church, Mark Middleburg, uh, J. Warner Wallace, who was a, a cold case detective for LAPD for 30 years right? We've had him come and speak here before. And if anyone is about evidence-based reality, it's cold case detectives. They don't believe anything unless there's
1: a chain of evidence. And if you ever look up J. Warner Wallace, he will give you. Frank Turek spends most of his time on universities
0: um, talking about Jesus, a um, uh, reasonable faith. He does Q&As with professors and students. He's going to be speaking here. And then on Monday night, we're going to do a Q&A at Fresno State. It's going to be awesome, right? There are plenty of that around there if you want to go look for that. And some of you, that's your style. Like, you get into that. It gets you going. And others, you're like, ah, yeah, it's cool, Right? Um, And there's nothing wrong with that. We have people in this church, friends I know. My friend Valerie is a psychologist, a very thinking person, right? She has a PhD. Um, I have another friend, Chad, who's a philosopher at the local university, right? Uh, A a thinking person. I have a friend, Jay, who's a medical doctor. Um, I have a buddy in San Diego, Wesley. He's a professor of of physics and, and, and cosmology at UCSD, of thinking man, a PhD from, from Cambridge, right? Who has a deep faith in Jesus. And he says, the more I look into the wonders of the universe, the more I worship God because the more in awe you are of something, the more you can worship it. So it is a reasonable faith. And here, here's, here's why we explain this one to you today. Um, some of you, this is not your style and you're like, eh, whatever. Here's what I want you to understand. If you end up knowing people in the church, you'll eventually rub up against people that have that style. And one day, you're gonna meet someone that needs evidence. And you may not have it, but you know people that do. Oh, I gotta introduce them to my friend, Kevin. I gotta introduce them to my friend, Cindy, right? Or you can point them towards some of these um, speakers that we come have speak here, because they're gonna lay that out for those people that need evidence that demands a verdict. Because if the evidence is there, you have to make a decision. An indecision is a decision. It's no. Right? Guys, if you ask a girl out and she says, I don't know, that means no. Okay? (laughs) It's time. So this first part of this passage, point number two, um, Peter says this. He says, in your heart, Revere Christ as Lord. Revere Christ as Lord. What does that mean, to revere Christ as Lord? Well, um, here, here, here's, here's what I, I want to help you understand. So when the Bible refers to Jesus as Lord, you've probably heard that before, right? We call him Lord Jesus Christ. It's not because he's like royalty, like Lord Fulton Roy, you know what I mean? That, that's not what it's referring to. The, the, the word is Adonai, and, and really, it means God. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a term, it means king. Jesus, the king, who is God. It says, in your hearts, revere Jesus as the king of your life and your God. That, that's really what Peter is say, saying right there. And, um, you know, and some of you are like, really? Is that what he's saying? Is that what he means? I'll give you a great example. In the gospels, There's a a disciple named Thomas. They call him Doubting Thomas. Why do they call him Doubting Thomas? Because he's a reason giver. After Jesus was resurrected, some of the disciples came to him, and they're like, he's alive. He's alive. We saw him. And he's like, nah, I don't believe it. I saw him die on the cross. Dead people don't rise. I need evidence. They're like, no, no, he's alive, really. He goes, I am not believing you unless I touch the holes in his hands and in his side. And then when Jesus appeared to him, Jesus said, Thomas, touch. And do you know what Thomas did? He fell to his knees and he said this, my Lord and my God. Okay, now some of you, you cry God, oh my God in the wrong context all the time. So I need you to understand something. When a Jewish man falls to his knees and says my Lord and my God, he was saying, Jesus, you are my God. He was worshiping him. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, the King Jesus as your God. That's what that means, okay? Um, Very very simple, but here's what I want you to understand. Most people, and I've been guilty of this as well, we don't revere Christ as Lord. We don't revere Jesus Christ our Lord. We actually treat him more like a supplement than our source, right? What is a supplement? You take vitamin C so you don't get a cold, so hopefully you feel better, right? You you take a, um, an Advil so you don't have a headache or the aches and pains might go away. Like a supplement is something you take to make you feel better so you can get on with your life. That That's how most of us end up treating Jesus and we're not revering him as our Lord, our God, right? So, What we have to constantly do is reevaluate where Jesus is in our life. Is he our supplement or is he our source? And this is why we come together all the time and this is why I say hard things to you guys and sometimes it angers you is because my job is to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. Right, so... Some of you are here today and you're a real skeptic and I'm so glad you're here because um, you're like, I need some proof. I need some evidence. Um, And what I want to tell you is there's, there's a line of it for miles. And, but I want to talk to you about belief first, because I could give you all kinds of evidence. Um, You can get on the internet and you can find evidence for anything you want. And here's how belief works in human beings. This is a sociological principle. It's a psychological principle. Is that human beings always decide what they want to believe first. And then they go build a case for it. That, that's a reality. So if you were atheist, based on your experiences in life and what you knew, you decided, I don't believe in God. And then you spend the rest of your life building a case for what you have chosen to believe. Right, If I decided that the earth was flat based on whatever evidence I I had or experience I had, I could get on the internet and go prove the earth is flat, even though the earth is not flat, right? Um, And some of you are like, well, what about you Christians? We're the same. At some point, based on experience and what we knew about the world and what we knew about Jesus, we made a decision to follow Jesus and we built a case for it. All human beings work that way. I have a friend. She goes to this church. She's on her staff. And she's a reason giver. She's very logical. She studied all the facts. She actually came to Christ when Lee Strobel spoke here five years ago. And she goes, Well, no, no, no. I studied all the facts. I was an atheist Jew when I came to Clovis Hills. And I was like, okay, that's cool. But how long have you been coming to Clovis Hills before Lee Strobel led you to Christ? And she was like, Oh, about six months. And I said, Well, why were you coming to church? Oh. See, there was something that was happening in her that she started looking. Is God real? And usually in people's life, what I've found, it's usually either a trial, a trauma, or some kind of transition, something changed in your life. And I need to check this out. So... We could all construct our own reality and and build a chain of evidence on anything. When my wife got brain cancer, one of her oncologists told us, he's like, listen, you're going to go on the internet. You're going to read a million articles on this. Everyone's going to send you an article when they see something on brain cancer. He goes, I want you to know something. There's a lot of stuff on the internet. And if I had a penny for every time they cured this cancer in a rat, um, I'd be a billionaire by now. He goes, so read it and use your doctor's team to help filter through this information. C.S. Lewis was a, um, and and before I get into C.S. Lewis, let's be honest. We all just went through COVID. Everyone went and found their own facts everywhere. Everyone went to build the case for whatever you were on the internet and we can all disagree about it. Okay, so, so, if you're like, I believe in the facts, good luck. Um, <laughs> C.S. Lewis, when he, when he became a believer in mere Christianity, he, he said this. I love it. He said, I don't have the quote. I just want to read it. He says, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. Can I get an amen on that? The, the universe is pretty cruel and unjust, right? I mean, the, we're, I'm pretty sure the world we live in is pretty messed up, Right? Okay, he said, my argument against God is that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Unjust. See, what he was explaining is the thing that is deep in the heart of every human being on this planet and every human being that's ever existed. We all know the world is not the way it's supposed to be. We all know humans do not treat each other the way they're supposed to be treated. We all know disease, when, it ta- when cancer takes someone, that's, there's something in us. We go, okay, death is natural, but, but, but not that one. There's something in us that knows when when evil happens. We know it's evil, but I want I want you to understand something. If there is no God and you are l- n- really just a comp- composition of atoms that happen to somehow get sentient life, there is no such thing as evil. So what is that thing that you see as evil? How can you call a line crooked? If you do not have an idea of a straight line within you, that's what he's saying. There's something in us knows that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. And I'm not the way I'm supposed to be. I don't know what I'm supposed to look like, but I know. And there's something deep in, in the, the human heart. So here's what I wanna ask you today. Um, the, bio, the, the scripture says, give a reason for the hope that you have. For those of you that are Christians, I wanna ask you this question because maybe you don't have lots of facts to give people. But you need to ask yourself this question. And it's number three. What is your reason? Why are you here? Why did God come to you? Some people, it's a story, right? It's, well, this happened and, and I couldn't deny it, right? Sean, Pastor Sean got up here and he j- just said, Jesus changes lives, right? That's, that's his reason, right? He's, you know, he's gone to seminary and he's, you know, working on his doctorate right now at Gateway. And, you know, he's got a lot more reasons now too, but that was his reason. What's your reason? Why? What's your reason? Why do you believe in Jesus? And you should figure out how to articulate that if someone asked. See, C.S. Lewis, he had a why. His reason, he had that. Um, in an in a article he wrote called The Theology is Poetry, he said this, and I love it. I do have this one. He said, this is late in his life, he became a Christian, and he said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Right? What he was saying is, I see, I see, I see the logic of it, but I see more than just the logic of it. I, I I can see the world differently. I can see myself differently. I can see, uh, you know, what I felt was wrong in the world. I can now see the problem, and it starts with me, is what he said. It starts with, with 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 our with our sin. So that leads me to point number four. Christians, you need to know your reason. But I want you, I want all of us to take a, a little deeper dive on that. Number four, guys what's the point of your life? Why are you here? This morning in the previous service, I spoke to a man afterwards who has a terminal cancer, grew up in the faith, walked away from it. And God shook him. And he said, this is the first time I've been in church in many, 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 many years. And he came and gave his life to Christ, re- rededicated his life to Christ. And he goes, I don't know how much longer I have, but I need to figure out what I'm supposed to do at the time I have. And I probably should start with the source. See, the Bible tells us this, that all humans have sinned And we've been separated from God by our sin. We can't have a relationship with our creator. Jesus can't be your your king and your Lord because of sin. It separated us, right? And, And here's the thing with sin is, remember we talked about like that bad smell? You just get used to your funk. And you're miserable in your funk, and life's not going the, 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 way, the way you want it to. And you want it to be different, but you don't know what that different is. But, but you, you're, you're scared to surrender to Jesus because he might ask, ask you to, to surrender some of the funk. Here's what I want you to know. Here's what it means to become a follower of Jesus. The first thing you have to do is not get your act together. That's good news. Especially as I look in this room. <laughs> the first thing you have to do is believe. And some of you are like, but I have doubts. I need all my questions. No, you don't. In Mark 9, there's a guy that, that they, Jesus, his his son needs Jesus' healing. And he comes to Jesus and he's like, well, what would you, would you cast this demon out of my son? And Jesus like, oh, anything's possible for those who believe. And then he says something that kind of stops Jesus in his tracks. And he says, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And see what, what, what Mark understood, this man understood, and then Jesus made a point to help understand is that faith is a spectrum and all you need is a saving faith is that little mustard seed to say, God, I need you. I realize I've been separated from you. I've been going my way. I've been doing things the way I want to. Um, I'm, I've even used you as a supplement in my life and um, it hasn't gotten much better. Um, every now and then it helps, but it, you know, I, I may, maybe I'm immune to it or whatever. And here's what I would tell you. Just humbly surrender and say, I need you to be my source. I don't know how to do that. That's why I need you. And I believe that your life, your death, your resurrection paid the price for my sins so I could know you, Lord. And it's a courageous move, but you have to make that decision. Remember how I said indecision is a decision? Putting it off is no. But God respects you so much, he leaves that choice to you. The Bible says this in in John 1.12. He says, but as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, he's given them the right to become children of God, that that you open your heart and you receive them. Jesus gives this metaphor in Revelation 3.20. It's a metaphor, but he says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone listens, I will come in. I will dine with them. That really what Jesus is saying is that the God of the universe loves you, wants a relationship with you, wants to live inside your heart, wants to cleanse you, wants to make you the person you were created to be and put you in a kingdom that he created but you have to invite him in. God will never force himself on you and that's your decision. And it takes courage. In a moment, we're gonna pray. And if you've never done that before, or maybe today's a day that you recommit to that decision. Maybe you did it as a child or as a teenager. Or... I wanna encourage you, just talk to God in the quietness of your heart. So just bow our heads and close our eyes and spend a moment with God. If you don't know what to pray, maybe you pray something simple like this. Lord Jesus, I need you. Come into my life and forgive me. I lay down my way and I I, I, I want yours. Would you change me and make me the person you created me to be? And some of you today, maybe your prayer is, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. This morning, if that's the prayer of your heart, just with every head bowed, every eye closed, would you do me a favor? I want to pray a blessing over your life. If that was a prayer of your heart, wherever you're at, just with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, if if that was a prayer of your heart, would you raise your hand right now? I wanna pray a blessing over your life. Don't be ashamed. God bless you. Don't be afraid. Thank you. Thank you. Keep them up. Keep them up so I can see you. Thank you. Thank you. In every room, your campus pastor is looking at you right now too, praying a blessing over your life. Father, I pray for every hand I see you every hand in this room that went up, every hand in all the other rooms that went up, Lord. Father, I pray a blessing on them for the courage it took, for that courageous decision they've made, Lord. And Father, I pray you bless them, that you set them apart for great things in this world and the next, that you give them their why, their reason, you give them their hope, you give them all of that and bless them for that decision, Lord. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said.